Well, if you don't know, um, I am a California transplant. I am one of those. And for the last almost four years now, I've tried really, really hard to pretend like I'm from here. I've tried really hard to assimilate to the Pacific Northwest culture. And so I started first by burning all of my umbrellas. I brought a whole bunch from California. I burned them all. Next, I added flannels to our wardrobe. And I was angry that I went over 30 years without wearing comfortable flannels in the winter. Um, I've learned not to say I'm going to the beach, but I'm going to the coast. Thank you for teaching me that. And lately, I've decided to wear teeny weeny beanies on my head. And I don't know if that's a Pacific Northwest thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. But here's the thing. All of those are minor compared to what I'm about to share because by far my biggest investment into becoming a Pacific Northwesterner is the purchase of our Subaru Outback, <laughs> the official car of the Pacific Northwest, right? Yeah, I knew that once I would be driving an Outback, I would be accepted by the natives, right? I'd be fully in. So thank you for accepting me. I own an Outback. Well, um, this car is not new, but it's new to our family. And, and trust me when I say this, I have zero regrets about buying an Outback. I actually love this car. It is really dear to me. Um, and so you can imagine the pain that I was in when last October... I crashed it. Yes, yes. So luckily, no one was hurt, both us, Gomez Lemos family, and the car that I chose to rear into, right? Don't do that, right? Um, But here's the thing. That was not just the disruption in itself, right, which crashing sucks, anyone who's been in a car accident. The disruption was really what happened after that, the weeks leading after that, because it took me days to finally get a car shop to take the car in. And then everyone I called said it would be months before I would get my car repaired. And here's the thing, guys. This guy chose not to get the rental policy. Uh, I know, I know, I know, (laughs) I know, right? And so what did that mean for our family right before the holidays? We were down to a one-car family, right? And so this was not part of my holiday plans, not at all. And um, how many of you can relate to anything like this? Yeah, can you relate? Yeah, yeah. Some of us wild drivers in here, you're like, yeah. Um, But we can relate maybe not to the car and the accident and, you know, coming down to one one person, uh, one family car, but we can relate to when our plans get disrupted. Have you ever had your plan get disrupted? Yeah, yeah. If you live long enough, you will, right? Well, here's the thing about a disruption to a plan. It feels like a disruption to peace, right? A disruption to a plan can feel like a disruption of peace. Well, today, being the second week of Advent, I want to talk about what do we do when our peace gets disrupted? What do we do when life doesn't go like we planned? 
And I want to explore that question by looking at one character in the Christmas story. And many of you know him. His name is Joseph. There's a few Josephs in the Bible, but we're looking at Joseph of the Christmas story. Joseph, the husband of Mary. Joseph, who is known by our Catholic brothers and sisters as the silent saint. Why? Because Joseph plays this significant role in the Christmas story, and yet there are zero words recorded that he said. You know, Joseph, he's a bit of a mystery. There's nothing written about his life after that scene where Mary and Jesus lose 12-year-old Joseph. Do you recall that? We don't know anything about Joseph after that. But just as he silently appears, he silently disappears, but his actions teach us so much about what to do when our peace gets disrupted. Are you ready to dive into the Joseph story? All right, let's read it. Matthew chapter 1, it says this. It'll be on the big screen. Uh, it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's mission, the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him what? Joseph named him Jesus. And so here's what I've been thinking about. Joseph was up against a once-in-a-cosmos crisis. This was a once-in-a-human-history event. In other words, there was no playbook on this. Most difficult things in life, you can look back towards history to kind of navigate your way through. But for Joseph, no man had faced what he was up against. And to say that the Christmas story, as it started, disrupted his plans for life would probably be the biggest understatement you could say during Christmas. Because I imagine that Joseph was like me, and as he thought about his future with this girl that he was engaged to, this was not it, right? Joseph was probably thinking about how many kids he was going to get to have with Mary. He was probably thinking about, hey, I can, we can open up a wood shop, and we can buy some beachfront property on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, think about Joseph's future and what he was envisioning and how this absolutely wrecked it. This discovery that the woman he was engaged to was pregnant, and he knew that he had not been with her. 
And so it makes me think of a show that I used to sneak and watch in my parents' house called The Mari Show. Do you guys remember The Mari Show? Yeah? I mean, think about that. Think about when Joseph heard, Joseph, when it comes to baby Jesus, you are not the father. Right? <laughs> yeah. All, all the young people missed out on this one, right? <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be watching, but this and Jerry Springer caught my attention every now and then. Right? <laughs> confession. Confession. And so... This discovery, it's, it's really painful, you know, in, in, in an existential level, right? Because where do you go from here? Because as I considered Joseph's situation, I, I realized that the problem had problems. Have you ever had issues that had its own issues, right? Because for Joseph, it wasn't a simple matter. They, of course, they weren't married. They were living in a conservative Jewish culture that believed sex was meant for marriage. And so he was Uh, committed to that. He believed Mary was committed to that. And so the only rational explanation was either A, Mary had cheated on him, or B, he couldn't wait till the wedding night. Right? Think about the community and how they would interpret this. And so what Joseph was up against was at the very best, him and Mary would be shunned from their community, exiled, considered you know, outsiders, defrauders of the law. And at worst, if, if they were going to apply the law of Moses, as it says in Deuteronomy 22, someone had to die. Someone had to die for this sin. And so this was no easy matter. And in most cases, I don't know about you, but I always believe that the truth is the best path forward. Right? Have you considered that in your situation? We're like, man, it's hard, but I think the truth is the best path forward. But think about the truth in this case. Think about how the community would respond if Mary said, hey, guys, here's, here's the deal. I'm pregnant, and it's Yahweh's. Do you think that would help? No, now she would be blasphemous, not just a fornicator. She would be blasphemous. And so Joseph, he had to consider all this, this no-win situation, and the irony of all this is this is the beginning of the Christmas story. I mean, think about that. The Prince of Peace, Jesus, was on his way. The promised Messiah who would bring peace on earth was on his way, yet the very news of him coming completely disrupted Joseph's life. It flipped his peace upside down. And it just made me think that the wonder of the Christmas story is that it disrupts our peace before it achieves it. At least it should if we seriously consider the implications that God became man in the life of Jesus. That should wreck us. That should wreck us. And there's a few things we should think about because if Jesus was born, then that means God is not like most of us imagine him to be. He's not some God out there condemning and judging, but he's a God right here relating and comforting. If Jesus was born, then what that means is that you and I need saving It means that he came to live the life that you and I could not live, no matter how hard we try 
and white knuckle. And lastly, if Jesus was indeed born the way the Christmas story tells us, then we have to make a choice. Either we continue to live life on our terms, our way, or we bow to the kingdom of Jesus and choose his way. The Bible says we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Do you see how the Christmas story shouldn't, didn't just disrupt Joseph's life, but it really should disrupt all of ours? Do you see that? I believe that the reality of Jesus should disrupt our peace if our peace is found outside of Jesus. Why? Because peace without Jesus is either temporary at best or destructive at worse. Amen? Tim Keller said it this way, whenever you see Jesus acting in the Gospels, you see him putting people in motion. He's like a giant billiard ball. Wherever he goes, he breaks up old patterns. He sends people off in new directions. Some are so furious that they try to throw him off a cliff. Others are so terrified that they cry out, depart from me, get away from me. Others fall down before him and worship him. Why the extremes? It is because of the claims about who he is. If he is who he says he is, then you have to center your whole life on him. Do you see that? And if he is not who he says he is, then he is someone to hate or run away from, but no other response makes any sense. Friends, this Christmas, if he hasn't already disrupted your peace, my prayer is that he would in the best of ways. And so here's where I want to go. I want to consider the question, what do we do when our peace gets disrupted? I want to look at what Joseph did, and I want to see if we can apply it to ourselves. I want to offer four things I see Joseph doing. The first one uh, is he feels, right? He feels. So in our English Bibles, the translation of one critical Greek word, it's, it's true, but it's misleading. It's this word. I'm not going to try to say it. Most of our translation says that Joseph considered the situation. Um, he pondered the situation. But another way of understanding that original Greek word has to do with the emotion of anger or being disturbed or being fumed, or fuming, right? One of the older translations, an Arabic translation of this text, dating back to the 8th century or early, translates the same phrase that he considered while he was disturbed over this matter. Can you blame him? Right? Joseph was a regular guy like you and I, and he had to make this decision, and there was so much emotion that he allowed himself to feel. But he doesn't just feel, he also thinks. Right, that's the second thing I see him doing. See, he gets angry, he allows his heart to feel, but he doesn't rush into a decision. He doesn't allow his feelings to discernment, determine his choices. He does not act impulsively. As a matter of fact, it says that after deciding to let go of Mary quietly, he considers it. I mean, think about that. 
He made a decision. This is, I think this is the right way to go. But he doesn't act on it. He actually stops himself and takes more time. The gift of thinking, right? And so um, one commentator wrote, Joseph's admirable and courage because he takes a difficult situation and he considers it from different angles. We read that he's a just man, meaning he wanted to do the right thing. He did not want Mary to be put to shame or suffer even worse. And so Joseph here, what he's doing is he's considering the concept of justice, including compassion. Joseph, in other words, knows before it was written by James that mercy triumphed over judgment. Joseph loved Mary, regardless of what he thought was the situation. And so he decided the right thing to do was to divorce her quietly and therefore not bring any more shame into her life. And that is a value-led decision. That's what I want you to think about. When our peace is disrupted, our values must lead our actions. I changed the words there. But our values must lead our actions. And even after all this, right, he, he feels, he thinks, Joseph is ready to make the wrong decision. Because he lands on he's going he's gonna to divorce her quietly. Although righteous in his eyes, was that the right decision? Would we have the Christmas story? No. And so by God's grace... God intervenes and stops Joseph from making a wrong decision. How does he do that? Um, he visits Jesus in a dream. An angel of the Lord visits uh, uh, Joseph in a dream. And so he's doing this third thing where he's listening. He's, he's actually hearing the word of God. And for Joseph, it was a dream. And today, most of us can clearly know God's will because it has been written for us, for us to read and contemplate. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us into understanding and application of God's will. But for Joseph, it needed a radical intervention. And so uh, a God who would come and disrupt a man's life the way Joseph's life would be disrupted and offer nothing more, wouldn't that be a cruel God? A disruptor for the sake of disrupting? But the God of the Bible is not like that. The God of the Bible is kind, and he sees this man who is about to make the wrong choice, and, he's, and he offers help. Help from heaven, and it keeps the Christmas story going. Do you see it? Isn't that exciting? And so um, Joseph still had the free will to choose. The Christmas story doesn't say that. Joseph had to wake up from that dream and marry Mary. He still had free will, and so the last thing I see Joseph doing is he obeys. And in obeying, he is doing a radically hard thing. Number one is he's taking Mary as his wife, supernaturally pregnant and all, he keeps her a virgin even after he's married to her, denying his bodily desires. 
And then lastly, he names the baby Jesus. Again, surrendering his right as a man to name a child. Because in Jewish culture, who got to name the child? The father. And so here is Joseph obeying difficulty after difficulty. But let me just argue or suggest that the greatest cost to Joseph's obedience to choose to stay with Mary was to associate with her shame. Think back about, think back to that small community in Galilee, in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, and how they would interpret this young couple. You see, when Joseph obeyed God, he was going to associate for life, for as long as the crowd would talk, with the shame that this would bring. And isn't that a picture of what Jesus came to do? Did Jesus not decide to associate with our shame, our sin, our shortcomings? The Bible says that he came to put on our sin so that we could put on his righteousness, his right living in the eyes of the Father. And so here's what I want to say. Joseph's life saying yes to Jesus did not create a peaceful experience. He had to make this hard decision. We later see that he had to flee um, from the hands of Herod, Herod who wanted to kill baby Jesus. And then he was in exile or he was uh, in Egypt for a time. He tries to go back. And he fears for his family life, and so he's displaced in another community in Nazareth. In other words, Joseph did not experience peace the way we think of peace. And that's why I believe the wonder of peace is this. Peace is not the absence of crisis, but the presence of Jesus. Joseph's life was not without crisis. But man... He had front row seats. He got to hold Jesus. He got to raise Jesus. He got to learn from Jesus. He got to be saved by Jesus. In other words, Joseph had peace because he had Jesus. Isn't that incredible? None of this happens without this momentary act of obedience. That's part of the Christmas story, right? Joseph had to obey for the Christmas story to unravel. But the grander story is that Jesus had a lifetime of obedience. And that's what makes the Christmas story radical. That we have a person who was able to meet the standards of God in our place. And so I want to end with application and the question, what do you do when your life gets disrupted? when the unexpected happens. If you're, if you're experiencing anything like that today, I hope that the next few points could be helpful to you. Uh, the first thing um, I'm going to offer is, um, or I'm sorry, the thing that I'm going to offer is doing what Joseph did. And he did four things, feel, think, listen, and obey. And feelings, right? You and I know that we are not created to be robots. That is what makes the difference between us and AI, 
Did you know that? Right? We have feelings. God made us to feel. I'm not telling you anything new. Your feelings, my feelings, are not bad in and of themselves. The problem is when untamed feelings lead. And so our role is to feel, allow our feelings to inform, but not yet lead. And so if you're like me, um, it takes me a while to get in touch with my feelings. You know, my wife might ask me what's wrong, and I have no idea. <laughs> I just know I'm not well, and I need some time to process. And one of the things that has really helped me was read um, any of the books of, of, of poetry in the Bible, my favorite being the Psalms. Why? Because I realized that in the Psalms, I find what I am feeling written in a much more beautiful and profound way than I would have ever expressed. And so I anchor myself to these parts of Psalms and say, that is what I'm feeling, God. I'm feeling forsaken. I'm feeling abandoned. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling unclean. And it helps me to do the next thing. I then think, right? I invite you to think. I invite you to face the facts. The outback's been crashed, right? We're down to one car. What are we going to do? Maybe you're up against a sudden job loss or you're experiencing marital separation or maybe this week you got an unfavorable diagnosis or you've been enduring mental health challenges. Here's what I want you to know. Peace is not achieved by sugarcoating or applying Christianese statements to your problems. Ignoring the gravity of your situation does not make Jesus greater. Facing the facts and trusting him does. And so we get to filter our feelings through the lens of truth. Truth is the truth is is uh, is the uh, truth teller and the truth leader. And so I'm a big fan of journaling. I don't know how you think through your, you know, your options. I don't know if for you it's more mobile. You go for a walk. I happen to now at, you know, in my late 30s have a box full of journals that I've scribbled. No, you know, I'm not worried about anyone ever reading it because no one can read my handwriting. <laughs> but I have a box full of journals that I have filled throughout the years that really just have my thoughts, my feelings, my prayers, my worries. It's all there. And so, um, would you consider spending some time to think through your choices? First with God, then maybe with a trusted friend or a paid friend, a.k.a. a therapist. We exist as pastors to sit with you and listen. Maybe you have a mentor. What matters is that you don't just think in a box but you invite others, especially God, into that process. After you have felt, after you have thought, the, less, the third thing is to listen. And this is where the challenge is, especially during the holiday season. If you're like me, this time of year gets loud and fast. And we need to get quiet and slow. Because one thing I've known is that bad decisions are made in loud spaces and at a hurried pace. And so you never want to make a big decision overly emotional, whether that's excited or sad. You never want to make a big decision when you're stressed or pressured or hurried. And you definitely don't want to make a big decision when you're isolated without counsel. And so how do you listen 
to God. Well, uh, you're going to hear this all the time. You've heard it before. But consider his word. Whether it's reading it or putting on your headphones and listening, it, listening to it through the version app. Or maybe for you this Christmas, your commitment to your own walk with Jesus, you're going to commit to a devotional. There's many good ones out there, whether they're paper or digital. Uh, if you haven't already taken a Christmas devotional, I think that those pages are filled with wisdom, peace-producing wisdom. Or if you've never read the Bible before, I would encourage you to start in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read about what Jesus said or did. You know, the difference between us and Joseph is he got one dream. He got a few dreams. We have an entire book of God's will written for us. The last thing that you and I get to do is obey. And here's the thing about obedience. Very rarely is God's choice the easy choice. And, we, and we, I don't like that, right? Like, I, I want to go with the path of least resistance, but I have found that when God calls me to something, it's typically something I don't want to do. And so a lot of times, God's choice is not the easy choice. And so we have to predetermine that we're willing to make the hard choice. We need to predetermine that peace may not be achieved the way we envision it. But in faith, that given our situation, the God who absolutely loves us can take this messy thing and use it for his glory. Take this broken thing, this devastating thing, this hard thing, and, and be able to intertwine it into his grander story. I mean, think about what Joseph was able to be a part of. If we had Joseph in the room today and we asked him, Joseph, would you do it all over again, what would he say? Absolutely. He got to participate in the greatest story of history. And here's the beauty of that. The story has not been fully written. You and I, Christmas 2023, we get to be included in God's bigger story. And if it takes a season of disruption of your peace to participate, man, I tell you right now, this time, this time next Christmas, you're going to say, I would never change one thing about that part of my life. God has been good. He has been faithful. And so I want us to learn what Joseph learned in the wonder of peace. That peace is not the absence of crisis, but the presence of Jesus. And this Christmas, as we prepare ourselves to light our second candle, the peace candle, we remind ourselves that peace is in a person, not a place, not a position, not a job, not a relationship, not a status, not an achievement, not a religion. Peace is in Jesus. And I'm going to invite you to bow your head as we come to a close. 
And I'm going to invite all of us, online included, you can do this from the comfort of your living room, to imagine the thing that has disrupted our peace. Takes two hands to hold. This thing is big and messy and complicated, and it's weighty. Imagine Jesus inviting us to hand that over and saying, this is why I came. I came to take on the hard. I came to replace your, your struggle, to replace your tendency to move away from God. It was my purpose to save humanity us included. And so would we imagine making an exchange with Jesus this Christmas where we give him our heart and he gives us his peace? Father, I pray for everyone in the room that's making this decision today that this Christmas we would be reminded of the source of our peace, that it's you it's the life you've given. It's your way. It's the Holy Spirit in us. And I pray for every single one of us that we would move towards a presence that brings peace, that we would move towards you. And I pray that in doing so, God, we would live these radiant lives, not free of crisis, but full of peace. We receive your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.